heard about this uh, airplane flight, and the captain came over the PA system just before they were getting ready to take off, and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, as you can see, our plane is pretty empty today, so we'd like to invite everyone to move to a window seat. That way, if a competition looks at us, they'll think we're full. And you know, that's kind of a sign of the times that we live in. You know, businesses, organizations, a, a, lot, of, a lot of things are just down and, and have had difficulty dealing with this, with this COVID situation. And so we, uh, even churches, are having problems. As you can see, there's a lot of empty seats in here. And we have dropped in attendance from where we were pre-COVID. So we started this sermon series last week called Restore. And our, we're thinking about, you know, ways and how can we restore our church back to where it was before COVID. And there's a book in the Bible where something was restored. It's the book of Nehemiah. And we started a study of that book last week, and we're going to carry that on. We saw last week that the first thing you have to do is recognize that you have a problem. And so we're, we talked about that. You can see that sermon on the Internet if you weren't here and didn't hear that sermon last week. Uh, it's posted there on our website. But as we go forward, we're thinking about this idea of restore. Actually, that's going to be our theme for this whole year. Uh, I happened to read a little article this week, and it was, it was a little humorous. It talked about a, uh, a dad who left his cell phone laying on the table, and his 14-year-old, 14-month-old daughter up in Oregon picked up that cell phone. And she began to push buttons on that cell phone, and she actually opened up eBay and actually purchased on his cell phone a 1962 Austin Healey Sprite. Now, fortunately, she only paid $225 for the car, but uh, he did get the car, and he said he plans to keep it and restore it. Uh, he said even probably will give it to her on her 16th, birth, 16th birthday. After all, she picked it out. <laughs> you know, and I thought that was kind of humorous, thinking about this idea of restore. But now that he's got the car, where do you begin? Where do you begin to restore something, you know, that needs restoring? And so that's what we're going to think about today as we move forward. We talked last week about recognizing there's a problem. And as we go forward today, we're going to think about reviewing the needs. You know, where do we begin to start uh, if we want to restore something? Uh, Nehemiah knew what his problem was, so what did he do next? Well, where do, you, where do you begin when you need to restore something? You know, it can be overwhelming to think about what, what do we got to do to make this happen? And it seems to me, as I study the book of Nehemiah, that he sort of took a systematic approach. And I think it will help us as we think about how to restore our church. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 2 today. And we're going to sort of go through. We won't read every verse. I'll, I'll summarize some of it for you. But I hope you've been following our reading plan that we put out in our newsletter. Uh, you can find that newsletter online on our website if you didn't get it. Uh, or you can pick up a copy back at the Welcome Center. And uh, we read chapter 1 last week. 
This week your assignment was to read chapter 2. There's an outline of the message on the back of your bulletin. And last week we saw that Nehemiah learned that the city of Jerusalem, the city of his ancestors, the city of God basically, where God's temple was, was broken down. The walls were broken down. And the gates had been burned. And you know, it had been this way since Babylon had destroyed Jerusalem back in 586 B.C. Here it is now, about 445, almost 150 years, those walls have been broken down and nobody's done anything. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 3, Nehemiah wrote, The people are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So God has laid on Nehemiah's heart that he needed to do something. He hadn't been to the city of Jerusalem. He didn't know exactly what he needed to do. But he's going to find out today as we read in chapter 2. You know something that's interesting to me? In chapter 4, verse 2, some of the people in that area asked a question. Here's what they said. Will they restore their wall? They were skeptical. But in chapter 6, verse 15, answers that question, so the wall was completed in 52 days. It's amazing what can happen when God is on your side and when you decide to do what God lays on your heart to do. So today we look at chapter 2, and we see that Nehemiah, and I'll summarize this first part, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, the king of Persia. Persia had overrun Babylon, taken all their lands, where Babylon had overrun Jerusalem and taken them. Now Persia is over all of it. And Nehemiah has worked his way up to be the cupbearer for the king. That's sort of like the king's butler. He served the king his food. And he comes into the presence of the king, and he's got this sad look on his face. And the king says, Nehemiah, you've never been sad in my presence before. You're not sick. What's going on? And Nehemiah begins to explain. Look, the city of my ancestors, the city of God, where my temple is, is broken down. And I'm sad. My heart is sad because of that. And it's been that way for a long time. And the text says that Nehemiah, what did he do next? He prayed. I'm sure it was a silent prayer just in his mind. Lord, give me favor with this king because I'm going to ask him something. And so the king said to Nehemiah, well, what do you want me to do? And there was Nehemiah's shot. And Nehemiah says, I want to go to Jerusalem. I want you to give me permission. I want you to send me out. I want you to give me letters and I want you to give me authority to do what needs to be done. Look at verse 7. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Tram Euphrates so they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beans for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because of the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted me my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent an army, officers, and a cavalry with me. And when Sambalot, the Hornite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, official, heard about this, they were very much disturbed 
that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. They were, the, the surrounding towns were worried that, that somebody had come to restore God's city. It was broken down and they were glad of it. So the first step that Nehemiah took is what I want us to begin with. And that was that he requests permission from the leadership. You know, Nehemiah really couldn't do it on his own. I mean, he had a job to do. He worked for the king. And so he couldn't go unless he got permission from the king. He also needed resources that the king could provide him. So what does Nehemiah do? He talks to the king, and the king acted favorable. You think God had something to do with that? I do. He also gave him letters, gave him timbers to build with and resources. If you read chapter 5, verse 14, it says that he also made him governor of Judea. He gave him the power and all the resources he needed to go and restore the city of Jerusalem. You have to get permission first from the authorities, from the powers that be, to use a popular phrase. You know, here at Central, our staff has recognized that we got some broken down walls too. Now, I'm not talking about physical things. You know, we, we got a few physical things. But there, there are some, some other things that we need to restore. We need to restore our church back to where it was before COVID came along. And that's a big task to do. So what did we do? The first thing we do, we said, well, we got to go to the authorities and seek permission. So we went to the elders and said, look, we've got some ideas. we got some things we need to do. And we also think we need some help. And so we talked to the elders about uh, seeking out a church consultant, which there are a number of those around today, to help us as we go forward to get us to, to help us see what other churches have done and help us restore our church. We have an interview on Tuesday night with uh, this church consultant that we've chosen to look into. We have not made a decision yet. The whole board, the whole staff is going to be on a Zoom meeting with uh, this church consultant to see if that's an avenue that we want to go. He can help us identify some things that we need to do. And so we're, we're going to pursue that. This is a, a, an organization called E2 Effective Elders. And Gary Johnson is a longtime member of the Christian churches. He has uh, taken several churches to, uh, to thousands of people. And he's a very sharp guy. A couple of the elders in the church went to a seminar that he put on a couple of years ago. And we were very impressed with him. You know, it does us good to have outside eyes look on and see what you're doing. Now, there's a lot of good going on in our church. Don't get me wrong, everything's not broken. But there's some things that we need to look at if we're going to restore this church. You know, Nehemiah was some outside eyes when he came in to Jerusalem. And he helped them see some things that they needed to do. So let's look now at verse 11 where, where uh, Nehemiah went next. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I sat out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. 
by night I went throughout the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool but there was not enough room for my mount to go through. So I went up the valley by night examining the wall. Finally I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because I had not yet said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any other who would be doing the work. So what did Nehemiah do? Second step, he reviewed the real needs. He got on his horse, he went out and he looked at the wall. You know, Jerusalem was surrounded by a wall all the way around. Stone wall, and it had 12 gates. It had three gates on each of its four sides. And Nehemiah went and inspected those to see what it was going to take to do the job that needed to do. So he reviewed the real needs. You know, he took a, a close survey. He eyeballed everything and thought through it from different angles to see what he needed to do. Rode out at night, no people in the town, everything's kind of quiet, he didn't have any distractions. He knew that God had put on his heart to restore this, but he didn't really understand what all needed to do. You know, things that we hope to do as a church leaders this year is really examine ourselves. Examine our church. Where are some broken walls that we need to fix? What do we need to do? Uh, you know, as we go into the future, one thing we got to realize is that we got to reach younger people. Uh, it's amazing at what's happening in our country today. A survey was taken in 2021, Arizona Christian University. And you know what they found? You know, we have these different generations that marketing people talk about. You got the, the builder generation, those people that were adults during World War II. And those people, sometimes called the silent generation, people 77 and over. Did you know that 83% of those people believe in God? Then you got my generation called the baby boomers. You probably, you know, the, the largest generation, the most wealthy generation. That's people from 58 to 76. 79% of those believe in God. And then underneath that, you've got uh, generation X. Those are people 39 to 57. That generation there, 70% of them believe in God. But the survey showed when you get down to the next generation called millennials, anybody ever heard of millennials? Did you know that 43% of those people said they don't know God, they don't care about God, and they don't even believe that He exists? Man! 43%. That means that only 57% of that generation even believes that there is a God. Another survey was done, and this time it took to ask the question, do you have a religious affiliation? Those that don't have a religious affiliation are called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. They have no, no uh, when you ask them do they have any religious affiliation, they check none on the box. Up until uh, in 1990, it was about 11% of the people in America. 
By 2008, it jumped up to 22%. It doubled. Right now, today, the surveys are showing that about 30% of the people in America have no religious affiliation. Let me tell you something. That's a broken wall. And the church has got to look at that. And we've got to figure out how we're going to reach those people. And we've got to figure out what we're doing to not reach those people. And so we've got to think through these kinds of things to see what we're going to do. You know, those... Those young people, basically people under 40, that's the future of the church. And if we don't reach them and bring them in, you know, we're, we're, we're getting old. Especially me. And, and we have got to find ways to reach out to these people. So what do we need to do? You know, we've taken a few steps. We, we, uh, we have a full-time youth minister. This year, this past year, we made our children's minister a full-time position uh, and so we've got both of those filled and we're working to establish programs that are contemporary and and will reach those people you know Nehemiah rode out in one night he was able to survey the wall it's going to take us a little longer to figure out what we need to do but what can you do you know one reason we're looking at an experienced church consultant is he's been through restoring churches and so we want to get his advice and help. We'll make a decision Tuesday night if that's what we're going to do. We'll be voting on it next Sunday in our board meeting. But that's what we're looking at right now. So what can you do? One thing, a couple of things you can do. Pray for our leaders. Pray for their wisdom and their vision and their insight so we can move forward. You know, we're going to have to reevaluate our vision for the future and our mission and our values and how are we going to reach this younger generation that's out there? For sure, we won't change our doctrinal stance. You know, those things that we hold as, as core values, the biblical things that we think about. Uh, we're firm on those. But some of the methods that we use to get those core values to people and to teach people, we may have to change those. There's an old saying, methods are many, principles are few. Methods always change, principles never do. And so we're standing firm on our biblical principles. But how do we reach people to bring them to know Jesus Christ? Well, look at chapter 2, verse 17 now. Then I said to them, this is the people of Jerusalem, God's people, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and the gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what He had said to me. They replied, let's start rebuilding. So they begin this good work. But when Sambalot the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Gresham the Arab heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We his servants will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim on or historic right to it. So that's the third step is Nehemiah then reached out to the people. You know, we're just beginning this process as a church. 
But just like God had laid it on Nehemiah's heart to do something, God has laid it on the hearts of our staff, on the hearts of our elders, that we are going to do something. We have got to do something to bring our church back and even go beyond where we were before COVID took place. So look at what, look at what Nehemiah did. First, he explained the problem to the people. He told the people what God laid on his heart to do. You know, um, we're not there yet as far as specifics in our church. God has given us ideas, and we, we've got a lot of ideas that we're working on. We've got a lot more work to do. But, you know, one of the things we've got to do is, is think about our building. How do we make it more, more appealing to a younger generation? What do we have to do? Uh, what do we have to change, or what do we have to upgrade to do that? Now, some people say, well, if that's all they care about is the building, then we don't need them. Well, you know, we're dealing with lost people, people that don't have the Spirit of God living in them. Many of them don't even believe in God. How are we going to get the message out, and how are we going to reach them? So we've got we to gotta think through those kind of things that will make our church a place where those people will want to come. We've got to get our hearts right. So we reach out to people and, and invite them and bring them. You know, uh, we've got to look at our programs. We've got to look at our scheduling. We've got to look at what their needs are and how we can reach out to other people. You know, we're, we're talking about people that are lost and unsaved. And we've got to figure out how we're going to reach them. You know, another thing we need to think about is we can expect some opposition. You know, Nehemiah especially had people from the outside that opposed what he was trying to do. Other governors, other leaders of other towns, they wanted to stop him. In fact, we're going to look at in a couple of weeks at chapter 5 all the way through the middle of chapter 6, and he faced some serious opposition. We're going to do a whole sermon on how we deal with the opposition. And I'm sure that Satan, listen, anytime you try to do something for God, Satan's going to come against you. He's going to try to make it difficult. So we got to work. We got to face that opposition. And anytime you try to change something, there's going to be people on the inside that are not going to be happy. I, that's just the way it is. Some people just don't like change. And there will always be naysayers. And, you know, somebody will be against it. I have a friend down in Georgia. Uh, he was a preacher at a church, and uh, he heard about a church there locally that built a new building. And when they built that new building, their church revived. It was restored. They doubled their attendance in just a couple of years. And he went over to look at their building and see what it was like. And he was supposed to take a tour. And when he got, out, got there, there was this elderly gentleman that was, met him and was going to take him on a tour of this building. And so they walked around, and then the elderly guy showed him all the different features of the new building and, and was explaining that to him. And, and my friend looked at him and said, uh, How do you like this new building? And the old guy said, I don't like it. I like the old building. But I'll tell you what I do like, he said. I like all these new people we got coming. All these young families we got coming in our church and what they're doing. Now, I want to tell you something. We're not even thinking about building a new building. Okay, so don't get that in your head. But what we are thinking about 
is how can we move forward? What do we got to do to reach people in our community, these people that don't know God? That's, that's what we're thinking about. And look at why Nehemiah was ready to face the opposition. You've got to envision God's involvement. Look at what he said, verse 20. The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. What a great attitude he had. In the face of all this opposition, Nehemiah said, Listen, God put this on my heart, and it's going to happen. Because the God of heaven is on my side. No opposition was going to stop him. You know, that's the right kind of attitude to have. And attitude is a big part of it. You know, perspective. There was a shoe company, and they, um, they, they were a worldwide shoe company, selling shoes all over the world. But one place they didn't sell many shoes was in Africa. And so they decided they were going to send two salesmen to two big parts of Africa to start selling their shoes in these two areas. And so these guys both went out at the same time. Uh, first guy checks into the hotel. Next morning he gets up and surveys the city and looks around. And all these African people are going barefooted. And he wires back to his boss and he says, Hey, I'm coming home. Nobody here wears shoes. Well, the other salesman, he checked into his hotel, got up next morning, walks around and surveys. He said, wow, nobody's got shoes. Man, send all the shoes you can get because we're going to sell them to everybody. You see the difference in their attitude? And so Nehemiah had this attitude, we're going to do this because God is on our side. We're going to restore this wall and this town to what God wants it to be. You know, one thing's for sure. God wants us to have the attitude that we're going to restore His church. And we, He's given us responsibility for this particular church. And the church is not a building, it's people. We have the responsibility to, to build it back up and get it to where it needs to be. You know, it's not as bad as it could be. I mean, we look around all and we see so many good things happening in our church that God has done for us. He's given us a great staff. He's enabled us. We don't have a mortgage, so He's enabled us to have a, a, a good staff. And they are stable staff. Most of them have been here for several years. He's given us motivated elders that want to see our church be restored and do well. He's given us financial stability. Even through COVID, we are financially stable. And we're ready to move forward. He's given us one of the most caring and loving congregations that I've ever seen in a church. And so what do we do now? We get God's direction and we begin to restore the broken walls. Here's our connection. Nehemiah took the right steps and that set him on a path, uh, a path to success for restoring Jerusalem. You know, we're optimistic that this will happen. We're also cautious. We want to make sure that we go in the right direction in the future. And one thing is for sure. We need our whole church to work together. We need to be united as we go together. We need you to pray for our leadership. You know, and we'll keep you posted as we go forward. So please, 
Pray for wisdom and insight and vision and for us to, to have unity among the leaders and pray about how you can be involved. You know, I realize a lot of people are saying, well, we're in the midst of COVID. How are we going to do this? Well, we're getting ready because COVID ain't going to be here forever. At least we'll learn how to deal with it. And we're getting ready to set ourselves up for restoration as soon as possible. Now, things are not as bad as, as we could be, but we're not as good as we can be. And so we've got to move forward. Uh, so why restore while this is going on? I want to give you two passages of Scripture that have really spoken to me in the last few weeks. And one of those comes out of 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You know, the whole church everywhere is down. Then listen to verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. God's going to do a work. He's involved in this restoring process. Also, I want to tell you another verse, and that's Galatians 6-9. You ask any one of the staff, I think they can all quote it because I quote it to them every day. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Galatians 6, 9. Everybody say, Galatians 6, 9. Read that and memorize it. Do not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. You know, we got to think about it. If people ask, will they restore this wall? Read Jer Nehemiah 6, 15. In 52 days, they restored the wall. Let's pray. God, we know you're the God of rest restoration. And Father, we believe in you. And so we, we are beginning this process. We want you by our side, Father, to lead us and guide us every step of the way to, to lay it on our heart just as you did Nehemiah because we want to go forward and we want to be the church that you want us to be. And so we pray today, Father, that you'll guide and direct us, help us to stand firm in our faith even though we're going to face some opposition. No Satan will be against it. But I pray, Father, that you will be there with us and help us to feel your presence in all that we do. In the strong and mighty name of Jesus, I pray it today. Amen.